are listening to the podcast of Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in Brooklyn. For more information on our church, please visit tgcwilliamsburg.com. Chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augusta issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was suspecting a child. While they were there, the time came up for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to the God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those of whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, brother. Good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. It's good to be back. Spend spend a minute. Um, I missed you. I missed you all very dearly. Uh, Tiffany and I have been away for like a few weeks, just visiting family in Brazil, and we just got back this week. And before we jump into the sermon today, I just have to give a very quick disclaimer that. I must apologize in advance for my probably thicker than usual Brazilian accent. So if you have a hard time tracking with me, just pull out your phone, please, and download this app for the subtitles. No, I'm kidding. Um, but seriously, if you, you know, if you need to talk to me later, it's OK. So I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, but I'd like to start today with a question that I think will help just frame our teaching text today and just understand more about what's underneath this. Um, 
if you were to receive an award for your life's achievement, like for your, for your work, for maybe like a Nobel Prize kind of situation, um, who would you invite to the ceremony? Who would be the people that you think of like, oh, this person should be there with me to like, you know, help me celebrate this? Um, who would you invite? You think carefully about it, right? Like you, you ponder it, maybe there's not enough seats, I don't know. Uh, you definitely be intentional. And you see, that's, it's kind of like God is an author of a book. Like, it's kind of like he's an author of this book who's been reading, sorry, writing this book through his own life. And the passage that we just read is kind of like his Nobel Prize moment. It's like, huh, and who did he invite? Who was it, the people that he was very intentional to be a part of the celebration? So if we pay attention to the characters of the story that we just read, you have Mary, you have Joseph, you have the angels, you have the shepherds. And if you're following along, just building up to the birth of Jesus, do you remember who the angels appeared to? Like who were the people that got a firsthand personal invitation about this good news? You have like Zechariah, the priest, you know, the father of John the Baptist, like while he was in the Holy of Holies kind of thing. You got Mary, the mother of Jesus, you should know about it. You have Joseph. And I think the angel appeared to him mainly because he needed some explanation, you know. Brother was a little doubtful, it's okay. Fair game. And you have the shepherds, like the shepherds. If you were to look critically at this passage, the shepherds are actually the only group that the angels appear to that are not really so essential to the event. Like, they don't really need to know about the arrival of the Messiah. I mean, granted, yes, we all need to know, amen. But you get my point. Like, if you take the shepherds out of the story, you still have an amazing incarnation of stories. Like, wow, God became flesh. But the same is not true about the other characters. If you take out Mary, let's not even go there. But God chose to invite the shepherds. So right away, we have to start thinking about this. Like, it seems that God is doing something very intentional about it, very purposeful by appearing to the shepherds and inviting them firsthand. On the night of his arrival on earth, God handpicked a very unlikely crowd to celebrate this. What does that tell you about God? And not to mention the whole circumstances of his arrival, right? The, the part of the story that we're all much more familiar with. Complicated political times, there was this whole census thing that got Joseph and Mary to go travel by foot to another city. And clearly she was very pregnant at that point. Can you only imagine how hard it must have been? And then they get to Bethlehem. There's not a single place for them to lay their heads. It's like, are you kidding me? Mary could have pulled out the car. It's like, yo, I'm carrying the savior of the world. Would you give me a bed? It's like, not even a voucher to like visit Bethlehem next time when you're on vacation, nothing. It's like, she didn't. And she ends up giving birth to Jesus in a barn, pretty much. Like, wrapping him in cloths and putting him where the animals eat. Like, that's a crazy enough story as a circumstance for a birth of a Messiah. And then yet, you still have the shepherds. So today, in this Advent season, in the week that we light a candle in, in love, we'll focus on the shepherds. Because I believe that there's no better character in this story 
to show the depths of God's love than the shepherds themselves. So I chose to break out this morning this talk into two different sections called the love of God and the God of love. And we'll approach this story today through the shepherd's eyes in the hopes that in the same way God revealed himself to them and they went and encountered the living God. So we may too this morning have a fresh revelation of who God is and encounter the living God. Amen. So let's begin. The love of God. So if we're going to talk about the shepherds, right, we have to ask the most obvious question of all. Have you ever met a shepherd? Like, no, randomly at McCarran Park, Prospect Park, Halloween, I don't know. I can show the only two shepherds that I've known in my whole life. Next slide, please. Shepherd Tinkin and Shepherd Fairy. <laughs> and clearly, Shepherd Tinkin is just way too cute to tell me anything about the shepherds in the first century, Jew. So, let's just go backtrack a little bit. And if you were to look at our teaching text and the Gospels and the New Testament, actually, they don't tell you much about who the shepherds were. So we got to do a little research about social structures at a time. And if you do so, you find out that shepherds were very different than what we paint them today. Um, the shepherds, around the time of the birth of Jesus, were actually a despised class. Shepherds carried a bad reputation. You know, the, the very nature of their calling, attending to the flocks, and flocks that were most likely for temple sacrifices, uh, the very nature of the calling kept them from observing ceremonial law, which meant so much to the religious people, right? So they, they were considered ceremonially unclean, meaning they were not allowed to walk into the temple. They were not allowed to meet God. They're also considered unreliable, meaning their testimony was not accepted in the court. They were not educated. They had no social status. And on top of all of that, like taking all that into consideration, the shepherds that we read in the story today were also the night shift ones. Like any work you have, if we have the night shift, is usually the one that nobody wants to do it. You know, this is the night shift. It's like, come on. They're probably the new guys. And yet God chooses them. God chooses to tell them about his arrival. Philip Yancey puts it this way. Just for an instant, the sky grew luminous with angels. Yet who saw that spectacle? Illiterate hirelings who watched the flocks of others. Nobodies who failed to leave their names. Shepherds have such a randy reputation that proper Jews lumped them together with the godless, restricting them to the outer courtyards of the temple. Fittingly, it was they whom God selected to help celebrate the birth of one who would be known as the friend of sinners. Remember, the main reason why we're choosing to look at this passage through the shepherd's eyes is because we want to see God through it. And they did it. They saw God. So what does that tell you about God? What does it tell you about his love? 
See, for the angels to show up to, to the shepherds, it's already an incredible display of God's heart. And it's a part of God's heart that if you read through the entire Old Testament, you see that the Israelites had such a hard time grasping. It's like, what is this unfathomable nature of the love of God? It's like it's inclusive. It's inviting. It's not just for you and for you. It's for all of us. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, when he decided to write himself into the story, he could not do it without including those who throughout their whole lives believed that it was not for them. Believed that they didn't fit in, that they didn't belong. And God insists on showing up and do everything possible to draw in those who thought that they were unlovable. And he still does it today. The thing about this passage that reveals such a depth of God's love is not only that he became Emmanuel, like God with us, which in and of itself is already a cause for such a celebration, but it's the way he did it, the way he chose to do it, by making a point to draw in the people who would have the hardest time believing that this good news was actually for them too. I love this, this bridge from the song from Aaron Strumpel. Uh, we sing a couple of his songs here sometimes. And he says, there's not too poor, too dirty, too broken, too naked, too stupid, too drunken to be thrown outside of his love. His arms are wide enough. He who catches up in his love. His heart is big enough. So God expressed his love by being with us, right? Emmanuel, God with us. Like propaganda, the rapper says, the word became flash and moved into the hood. But here's a more personal question then. How do you know that God loves you? Like if we were to have a show of hands right now, does God love you? Do you know that? Great. But how do you know that? Just how? Did, did you grow up hearing about it? Did you read about it? Did someone tell you? What is it? What happened? What makes you know that, that you know? See, for the shepherds, it got personal. Because God personally invited them. It's one thing to say, Jesus loves me. But the shepherds have a story that they can tell. And if you were to get personal, I have a story that I can tell too. I met the love of God before I met the God of love. For me, growing up at church didn't help much knowing about the God of love. You know, I learned about him. I knew of him. I could maybe relate to him to some extent. I knew that he loved me. I could say that, but it would take years, and unfortunately it would take a lot of pain and discomfort for that to finally sink in from head to heart. And some more years for me to actually say that I know him. I know him as a friend. When I was 19, I moved from Brazil to US uh, to study, and I moved to Miami and then for college and later to Boston. Uh, lived by myself, lived that bachelor life. From the age of 19 to 23, I can remember not a single instance that I spoke to, that I acknowledged, 
that I even remember that there was a God that somewhere out there cared for me. I just didn't care. I remember, I grew up in church. It was a time in my life that I just felt like I should make decisions on my own. I was growing up, you know. I didn't need to consult my parents. I didn't need to consult God, for that matter. I definitely didn't need to go to church. Church, church was an afterthought, to say the least. Like, what's the need? Yes, I did have many church scars. So I lived through my own desires. I lived through my own bad choices, my own impulsions. And yes, all of their consequences as well. I did things that I am utterly ashamed of. I hurt myself. I hurt others. But even as I was dragging my feet through the mud so many times, I was still reluctant to give in. I knew where I had to go. I knew what I was missing. I just didn't want to go there. I was stubborn. I was mad. I was prideful. And I didn't necessarily have that like prodigal son moment kind of story, you know, like you see that, that moment when the son is running back home and the father's just like, oh, yes. It didn't happen like that to me. That's not how I met the God of love. It was actually many, many times that things came to my mind. I remembered specific moments, specific memories and situations, but I could look in hindsight and start to see God's love just sprinkle out through the situations. And, and that would just stop me in my tracks. I would be in shock because I would never look at those moments again. And yet, I was being reminded of them, but in a different lens, in a different way. And that started to happen more often and more often. I would look back, and there were just more than sprinkles of his love. There are some moments that were clearly soaked in his love. And just to give you a hint, it wasn't the pretty, happy, beautiful moments. It was the shameful moments. It was the sketchy ones, the fear-driven ones, the hurtful, the painful, the doubtful. Those were the moments that I saw God's love so clearly. The memories that I tried to forget so much was the ones that he reminded of us, I was there with you. My love was there with you in that moment. And that just started to soften my heart. More and more until I moved to New York. And I guess I was just so scared to first move to New York, but also scared to give in or maybe give up control. And I just decided that like, you know, if, if I'm gonna give up control or give in, I have to give in to the one thing or person or being that has been the constant throughout my whole life. And I did. And that's when I finally met the God of love. And this God of love brought me to others who him calls his sons and daughters. And I got the pleasure to call them family. See, God brought me out of my comfort zone so I could meet him, and I neglected him. He was patient, he was kind, he was gentle, and I neglected him. All throughout, he's been my father, my mother, my sister, my best friend, my brother. All he wanted is for me to feel safe, loved, and cared for, and I still neglected him. He wasn't trying to take anything away from me. He was trying to show me that he, and only he, is the source of all the love that I've ever felt. And only him is capable of loving me this way. Now, my family 
in Christ Jesus is so much bigger than the ones that I missed in my early days. Look at you. So I can call you family, and when I do so, know that I don't do it lightly. My brother, my sister. Through you, I see and I know, and I'm reminded of his love and the journey that we're in. That's the love of God. And in the case of the shepherds, it was similar too. It didn't stop there. Because the shepherds were not satisfied with some breakthrough moment of like angelic choir singing and praising God. Can you imagine how amazing that must have been though? Like, I don't even know for how long it lasted. But yet, they rushed. They were like, no, 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 we got to go and see that. Let's go. Let's go and see. They had to go and meet the personification of this love. This love that sought them out, that found them, and included them in the story. If you go to verse 15, it says, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing, this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I love the told us about. Like, isn't that beautiful? I always try to read this passage with the emphasis on the us. It's like, let's go and see this thing the, love, the Lord told us about. Like, he included me in this, in this story. So they go, and they encounter Jesus, the being behind this love. That's where they encountered the God of love. Tim Keller, in his book, uh, Hidden Christmas, which, by the way, if you're looking for a book to read over the holidays, great read. He comments on the fact that something gets lost in translation with the angel saying, like, fear not. Which, by the way, every time an angel appears in the Bible, their first words are always, fear not. Because you can only imagine, like, you've seen an angel, you're terrified. Am I alive? Am I dead? Am I alive? Am I dead? Fear not. It's okay. So it's like, whoa, of course, fear not. And the angel says, says actually, a good translation is like, they say, fear not, behold. And Tim Keller says that a good way to translate behold is you don't have to be afraid anymore if you only look at what I'm showing you. Fear not. Just look. So they go and they see. And they see exactly what had been told them. The signs that the angels spoke about, you know, baby wrapped in cloths, lying on the manger and everything else. This is another quote from Philip Yancey. And it's about fear. Among people who wall off, off a separate sanctum for God in the temple, you know, like the Holy of Holies, and shrank from pronouncing and spelling out the name like Yahweh, God made a surprise appearance as a baby in a manger. What can be less scary than a newborn with his limbs wrapped tight against his body? In Jesus, God found a way of relating to human beings that did not involve fear. You don't have to be afraid anymore if you only look at what I'm showing you. Behold. And he doesn't stop there either. That's the beauty of it. The celebration continues because it's already unthinkable that God would draw none by the shepherds and that very night, that pivotal moment in all human history, they came and they met Emmanuel. But then what? Those very shepherds actually became the very first missionaries. They were the, only, they were the very first evangelists. Like, remember that Jesus was only a newborn baby. Mary and Joseph probably had a lot on their hands in the next couple of decades or so, right? Jesus didn't officially start his ministry until he was about 30 years old. So, 
Who spread the news about Jesus? Well, the message about Jesus got spread through illiterate night shift shepherds. The first time the gospel was preached, it was through a rural, uneducated Israelite accent. Makes me feel much better about my accent. The rumors that circulated about the Messiah were because of the shepherds. What does that say about God? What does that say about his love? What kind of God entrusts his greatest mission on earth to a group of people who their testimony are not even accepted in court? The God of love. God's weakness is the greatest expression of God's love. And if you don't believe me yet, while I'm talking about Jesus' birth, just keep to Easter, Easter and look at his death and resurrection. There's a couple more things that we can learn with the shepherds through this passage today. Is that when we meet the love of God, the response is praise. Next slide. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was, I was debating with Tiffany because she said, like, no, those are high fives. And I was like, nobody gives high five with two hands. Those are like praise hands. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> I'm the last millennial you would think of that would do an emoji on a, on a sermon. But yeah, I did it. All that to say is that if you look closely at this passage, it's just so huge on praise. Like, it's everywhere. See, when the angels show up to share this good news, they break out in praise. When the shepherds go out and see what's happening, they also break out in praise. See, verse 20 says that they return glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Guys, it's inevitable. Like, it's just the right response. Praise is just the right response. When you meet the love of God, the response is praise. And when you meet the God of love, the response is mission. Just a few verses before that, it says that when they had seen him, when the shepherds had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about his child. And all who heard it were amazed and all the shepherds said to them. See, love is to be shared. It's in the very nature of love. God, three in one, is shared. When the shepherds encounter this God of love, they see with their very eyes how far God has humbled himself. And in that moment, they realize all that was entrusted to them. When you go beyond the first revelation of God's love for you, you get to know God as a person, you get to know the person behind this love, you too start realizing all that he has entrusted to you. It's personal, it's missional, it's meant to be shared in words and in actions. Mission powered by love is always invitational. It has to be. Jesus responded to his father's love by praising, loving God back, and inviting others into the kingdom of God, and loving others that way. It's sharing, it's giving, it's trusting. It's just a natural overflow of love. And he called us to do the same. He 
called you to do the same. To follow him and to learn to love like he loves. To stake your reputation on his because he staked his reputation on you. He gave it all. So if you're sitting here and feeling like you don't belong, that you don't fit in, carrying shame or guilt or feeling unqualified, I just want you to know one thing, that God is rejoicing over you with singing. He's not judging you. He's not ashamed of you. He's not waiting for you to get it right. He's rejoicing over you with singing and praise. That's just God's heart for you. That literally happened with the shepherds. Love found them in the least likely place, in the least likely way. And he changed everything. You may remember what we read last week on Zephaniah, that he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. This is for you. And if you're here and if you don't know, if you still trust the story, maybe one foot in, one foot out, I don't know, a lot has happened. I just want you to know that I truly believe that God handpicked this moment to remind you that you are a part of the story. He's inviting you back in and remind you how much he loves you. To the extent that he went to include the shepherds into this story, he will go to greater extents to include you again. And yes, he is rejoicing over you with singing. That's who God is. So how do you respond? When you find that the creator of the universe is rejoicing over you with singing. You rejoice with singing. You break out in praise. Like that's what the shepherds did. And that's what we're about to do as well. Sam, ready brother? Would you stand with me this morning? The band will come back in and, and will lead us into worship. And I'll get out of the way very quickly, but I'll just love for you to remember one thing. If God is stirring anything in you, anything at all, from a story that you probably heard tons of tons of times, just respond however is, 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 is itching or sticking. Like, just find that. God is speaking. Don't, don't. I say, don't try to, to think of how would God respond. He's already responding. He's already seeking you out. Because His love is, is just that way. It goes, it seeps in through everything. And just, just stay quiet. Just close your eyes. Just try to listen. Try to feel whatever God is speaking to you today. And respond. Respond in praise and singing. Respond with a silent prayer. Respond just sharing your story with your friend, your family next to you. Respond however it is this prompt in your heart. But this is my challenge to you. Just don't hold back. Don't hold back because God held nothing back for you. I'd love to invite the prayer team to the front. Uh, there will be folks up here that would love to pray for you uh, if you choose so. I know for a fact that the person sitting next to you will also love to pray for you if you choose so. So... The room is yours. Know that God is already here. His love is already here. There's no rush. There's no need to try to manipulate or to 
They'll do anything but to accept his love. So I'll just pray over us and the table will be open. Communion is also a way that we respond to God's invitation and we're reminded of his love. We can taste of his love through the body and blood of Jesus. God, we thank you because there's no way, not a thousand songs, not a thousand sermons, not anything that we could say or do that will express the infinite of your love for us. I'm reminded of something that Sam shared this, this week that man, the angels are 24-7 crying holy, holy, holy for thousands of years and they haven't got past the word holy. So God, may we just join them in lifting your name up high this morning, God. God, we cry holy, holy. We cry Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you. Thank you because your love is so beyond what we can put into words or try to express with action, God. Yet you did it. Yet you sought us out. You found us. And you continue to do so. God, thank you. There's not enough thank yous to say to you, Jesus. So Father, would just come and reveal yourself to us this morning. May we, with our eyes closed, may be able to see you, Jesus. To see your face, look into your eyes, and know the very being behind this love. Love so great, so wonderful, so deep. Father, may we encounter you this morning. And may we just break out in praise because you deserve it. You alone deserve it. And may we also be obedient and follow you in mission and sharing with one another, sharing the good news of you, Jesus, the Messiah who came to be a friend of sinners, friends of those who did not deserve 